Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is Jonathan Pritchett from within the quarantine zone. Yes, appears our our special social distancing edition of Trinity Radio. Yeah, and uh, we are so excited about this, and this no. is the first time that we have used this uh, StreamYard, and if it goes well, we will uh, pay the fee to not have the watermark on it, but there it is for yeah. now, so uh, special shout out to StreamYard, I guess. But glad you guys are all here, and today we are going to talk a little bit about uh, the coronavirus. We haven't really said much about it on our show. Part of the reason for that is because everywhere you look, it's coronavirus, and we thought, hey, why not escape that when you come on and listen to Trinity Radio? But now you get coronavirus with Jonathan Pritchett's dogs in the background. Yes, it's going uh, it's gonna go on all day. But, uh, but all right. And also we want to say thank you to, uh, finding truth and slam are in, uh, maybe, maybe I did something wrong with finding truth, but, it, but those two are supposed to be moderators and it looks like slam are in is. So we, um, appreciate you guys and I'm glad you're here and oh man, uh, you guys are just so awesome. Look here. Let's try this. Jim Amberg says, I saw a former alcoholic go out to buy groceries for people he didn't know because God has changed his life. I saw tons of messages from people at church offering to get groceries and medicine for at-risk people. Amen. So that is awesome. We are so um, excited about that. And you know, one of the cool things about this is we are able to do things like this. Uh, Pedro. Hello, Pedro. Are you from Brazil too? Maybe, maybe not, but, but we're able to throw pictures and, and images and things like that. All right. So let's get into this. So what we're going to do is we are, since Dr. Pritchett is with us, we're going to follow, um, standard YouTube super chat rules. Um, we will try to get super chats first, but we will try to get to everyone at some point, uh, before this broadcast ends. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about some Twitter responses that atheists have given, and um, uh, that make statements about religion or Christianity in the midst of the coronavirus fiasco and make responses to those, comment on those. Then what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about what is a sober-minded Christian response in the midst of what's going on right now, because there's a lot being said out there um, about, is it the end of the world? Um, the Jerusalem Post had a article that was saying that even some Jewish rabbis are saying this is evidence that the Messiah is about to come. Um, mm. We would say that that uh, lovingly, we would say they're about 2000 years late on that. But um, and then uh, Muslims saying things about this. So every religion has got their thing. Atheists have got their thing, too. And so we're going to take a look at some of those. And then we're going to respond how we think a sensible, sober minded approach uh, can be to this. All right. So uh, let's jump right into it. You ready, Pritchett? Yep, let's go. Then let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, this one comes from Atheists in Kenya Society. Here it is, Jonathan. I'm going to get your response first since I've been talking. Religion is failing in the fight against coronavirus, but will be the loudest in glorifying God when science finds the cure. Well, I, I don't know why people think that you cannot praise God for the accomplishments uh, through science. That, I don't even understand what point they're trying to make. Uh, religion actually has done plenty of good in the world and is currently doing good, even on small scales like what we just read from 
the post you just put up on the screen, uh, Christians are doing a lot to help their neighbor and love their neighbor. Uh, unfortunately, some Christians are not doing uh, the social distancing that they should be doing, uh, still gathering at churches. Don't do that. Stay at home. Uh, but religion is actually doing a lot to help with the virus. And Christians are also going to praise God for everything good because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of Light. So um, I don't understand the problem personally. Um, but yeah, I'm going to thank God if. Uh, the God who created a rational cosmos that actually undergirds uh, the intelligibility required for science. Um, I like to always remind people science is kind of our thing. It's not, it's not the atheist thing. It's our thing. Um, yeah. We, we, we came up with that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to praise God uh, when science does this. I'm not discounting the fact that God could miraculously heal some people who get the virus that could happen too. Uh, but we praise God for all of it. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't know why they that tweet would why phrase it that way. I get some of the other ones we're going to read, but that one. Um, look at what religious people are doing for good during this crisis right now. So yeah, they're doing a lot of good things. Uh, yeah, and let's go ahead and make our position clear. You hinted at it, Pritchett. But as mm -hmm. for should people should churches be closing their doors and all that sort of thing. Um, yes, I think they should. And I love what, um, Mike Winger said about this, that perhaps people haven't thought, here's the thing to understand folks. It's not as though we are being told by the government or some other, somebody else, you can't go to church because of Christianity. Like we're against Christianity. So you're not allowed to go to church or the state is against Christianity. That that's not what's going on that, you know, that would be a real serious, like kind of persecution. What's happening here is you may get sick or you may get that old guy sick and he may die. So don't do that. You know, stay at home. Hmm. And I love how Mike Winger put it in a recent uh, video stream. He said, quote, you could be the church that's bringing shame on the name of Christ. Now think about that in, in the Bible and, and even in the Old Testament with Moses, we talk about the name of God being glorified and uh, Moses bargains on behalf of Israel to God that uh, on behalf of God's name, that God's name would not be um, mocked or, or that people would think that, that God had done something unjust. And think if the church meeting together in spite of what our leaders are recommending, um, if we continue to meet together, and this thing spreads because of your church, your church has been, in a sense, has brought shame on the name of Christ. And that's not a good thing. Yep, that's right. Um, but overall, I, I, what I see Christians and, and even probably some people of other religions doing is a lot of good to help their neighbor. So I appreciate that. And again, yes, we're going to give thanks and glory to God when they find treatments and vaccines and all of that through science. So. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's just silly rhetoric. Maple Border 78 says science can't figure out a cure unless God allows it. So, yes, God gets all the glory. He gives scientists. Now, the thing is, I think I they're saying gives intellect. intellect. Yeah. But the thing about it is that I wish people would recognize is that there's going to be a lot of scientists and medical professionals who are going to praise God in the midst of this. Yeah. Um, I know some of the ER workers in our town right now, and they're absolutely going to say that it's because of God that every good thing that happens happens. And so we want to we want to remember that in the midst of this sort of thing is that many of the people that you're talking about and perhaps some of the researchers who are going to come up with the cure would pray. I mean, you've got Francis Collins has been all over the news recently and he's a Bible thumping Christian. So, yep. 
um, head of the head of the what NHI or something or related to it. So, um, all right. So let's look at it. Let's listen to another thing that is being said. Uh, here's another atheist uh, tweet. This is from City Skeptic says, I think religious people will double down on their religion and think this is either a punishment or signs of the end times, not looking at other viruses in history or pray for it to go away. They'll be praying to the same God that allowed it to happen. Go figure. Uh, well, that, that's kind of a mixed bag there. I think that every, I think I've heard at least some uh, doomsday Christian types, every virus, every earthquake, every whatever that happens, they'll either say it's a judgment or it's the end times, right? Uh, I've picked on John uh, Piper's Twitter feed a lot during tragedies because of some things that he says that he cannot possibly know. Um, his response to the coronavirus was actually one of his more measured ones. I was kind of uh, happy to see that. Maybe he took everyone's advice and said, you know, chill out on but um could it be judgment could be i'm not gonna say it is i'm not gonna say it is i don't know well, yeah uh, and we'll get and we'll there specifically is, yeah, get to biblical, that later in the show yeah there's biblical precedent that god has used disease and famine and things like that as punishment so i mean i'm not gonna say i know for a fact it isn't and i'm not gonna say that i know that it is I, you know we live in a fallen world these kinds of things happen um but you know, it's I've heard some Christians who who do that. As far as doubling down, it depends on doubling down on what. On, on, on is he talking about on prophecy? Is he talking about doubling down? Because I'm doubling down on prayer. That's what I'm doubling down on my religion doing. I'm, I'm well, praying the, a lot more. Uh, to, so. to, to make it more clear, this was a response to a tweet that was saying, "What do you all think the Christians are going? Is this going to make less Christians, or are Christian like are are more people going to leave the faith because of the coronavirus?" And uh, most people are saying, no, they won't leave the faith. And this is one of the reasons this person saying what I think they'll do is they'll double down on their religion and think this is either a punishment or signs of the end times. They'll be praying to the same God that allowed it to happen. Now, we're going to talk specifically about is it a judgment? Is it not a judgment in just a few minutes? Um, but I yeah, I think um, no, I, I do. It, well, OK, I can't argue with the tweet on this. And I am very much praying to the God who allowed it to happen. Yes, that's true. There you go, Pritchett. Is there a beeping that anyone else is hearing? Yes, yes that's Pritchett's everyone, smoke alarm. Yes, it, 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 this is, it's been... He doesn't I, love his family, and so he's letting them have a bad smoke alarm. All oh, right, it works. Um, you can take the battery out, and it still works. Okay. I've done, every, I've done everything but take a hammer to it. Okay, Take, I've, take a hammer. All right. Yeah. So the atheist foxhole says, and yet even with the government filled to the brim with God fearing in quotation marks, Christians where we are unable to pray away the coronavirus or construct uh, properly diagrammed sentences, I guess. But anyway, um, uh, so why, why are we not able to pray this away? Why are we not, Jonathan? Why isn't God answering the many prayers? I mean, doesn't the Bible say he'll give you anything, whether it's a sports car or a million dollars? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The coronavirus yeah. gone if you just pray it in Jesus' please, name? Please refer to a whole episode we did on this. Yeah, uh, we did do two episodes in response yeah. to Matt Dillahunty end of last year. That's right. Um, but, yeah, I, um, I don't know that you, you know, when, when you have a pandemic like this, it doesn't matter 
if it was this one or in times past, you always have Christians praying. You always have people asking, um, what good does it do? We don't know what good it will do. We don't know from a Christian worldview perspective. I don't see the whole tapestry, right? So I don't know what my prayers are doing uh, that could be impacting how God answers the prayers and how we're delivered through this. Because God providentially controls the situation. Could God stop the coronavirus in 30 seconds? Yes, he could, but he doesn't. It wouldn't, take, it wouldn't even take 30 seconds. Right. But I'm saying 30 seconds from now, he could just make it go away. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's what omnipotence entails. Okay. But why doesn't God do things like that? You know, that's the question people struggle with. Why, why does God not just make earth heaven already? Right. That's what, that's what, that's what, that's, that's the question. And we'll get, we'll get, we'll get to that in just a second, I guess. Right. Jonathan, but you've got a new best friend and that is godless engineer. I like godless engineer. One thing I, one thing I, one thing I appreciate about him. And this goes for a lot of atheist YouTubers and a lot of Christian YouTubers. One thing I really appreciate him is, uh, and I try to do this too, not in the same way that he does, but um, his videos are entertaining to watch. A lot of apologetics videos and atheist uh, evangelism videos, what I call them, the atheist evangelist stuff, they're boring. So uh, at least his, he tries to be entertaining. Uh, so uh, I don't always well, there like... You go. The, the way he tries to be entertaining sometimes is excessively vulgar, which, come on, he can do better than that. Uh, but overall, yeah, I like Godless Engineer. I like Doug from Pine Creek. I don't dislike these people, you know, as people. They need to repent and believe the gospel is what they need to do. So your new best friend, Godless Engineer, says, viruses are not affected by prayers. So I don't know why Pence said that millions of people are praying. Why would that do anything? But that's more of the same of what we've heard. I just wanted to throw it in there because it's godless engineer. But now yeah. here's an interesting one that's going to bridge our gap to our discussion of a sensible approach I think Christians should take to this whole thing. And it comes from Paul Ogia. Do you like Paul Ogia? Yeah. I like Paul Ogia. Yeah, uh, Paul Ogia, guy, right? I like, um, when I say I like Paul Ogia, I don't mean I approve of, of the messages that he's sending. Uh, but Paul Ogia says, God in 1300 B.C., Plague precisely pinpoints only firstborns in the single enslaving country. God in 2020 AD, plague vaguely hits seniors worldwide for abortions by the next generations. In other words, he's saying he's hearing people say, I guess, that abortions, uh, that this is this is a punishment on America or the world for abortions. Uh, but that sure makes a lot of sense because it's mainly hitting older people. Uh, not the generations that are primarily aborting, having abortions. Aborting the kids, yeah. And guess what? I agree. I I agree in the sense that I get irritated, and you hinted at this a moment ago with John Piper and what he said in the past. I get irritated when people um, tend to. So we we I I affirm this thing that's called, uh, or I present what I think is called the grandma fallacy. I made it up, the grandma fallacy. And um, I've told this story so many times, but, uh, but w- my wife talks about when she's a kid and she fell and busted her nose in the, in the, in the garage and her grandmother before oh, she was jumping rope, her grandmother came out and said, you better quit jumping rope and come in and eat dinner. And she didn't, she just kept jumping rope. And her grandmother said, you better come in and quit jumping that rope. You do what your grandma tells you. And she didn't. And finally, she fell and bust her nose. And the grandma came out and said, you see, that's God punishing you for not listening to your grandmother. 
Now, the reason, so so anytime some religious leader or anybody else comes out, says, this is God doing this because of homosexuality or abortion or whatever else. The thing about it is, uh, just like with my wife's grandmother, maybe, maybe, but Sarah's grandmother did not know whether that was true or not and had right. no way of knowing. She might be right, but if she's right, it's only happenstance that she's right. And the same with any of these religious leaders that come out and say, this is God's judgment on X, Y, and Z. That is merely the grandma fallacy. Um, so, so that's, so that's important. Now, uh, we're gonna, Brando has said something we're going to come back to in just a second. So, so here's, let's jump into now, Jonathan, um, the issue of the problem of evil and theodicy. Um, and theodicy has to do with how, how is God just in light of this? And so the first half of the word theodicy has to do with God and the second half has to do with justice. And so how is God just in the light of all of this? And so, before we go any further in unpacking that, I like to I like to talk about this this way. Anything bad or evil that happens in this world is, and this goes to Brando's, let me put it up there on the screen. Um, anything that goes wrong in the world is, in a sense, a judgment from God. It, it is, but I, I think we can distinguish between what some theologians have called active judgment and passive judgment. So um, so an active judgment would be something like Sodom and Gomorrah, where we, ha we actually have information. There's no grandma fallacy. We actually have information that um, this, this was brought as a judgment, the destruction of this city, because of how sinful it was. Okay, that's right. that's an active judgment. God's saying, I'm not even doing that through secondary causes, like the Westminster Confession might say. I'm doing that directly. That is an act of judgment because of a particular thing. Passive judgment we could think of as something that is happening because, as Brando rightly points out, he says, Braxton, what was God's sentence to Adam and Eve for disobeying? So the word that the creation is fallen, and man and Adam and Eve and all of mankind now has to live in and work in that fallen creation where they eat where it wouldn't have happened, or at least they would have been protected inside the realm of the garden. And, and, and so everything bad that happens, all disease, all evil, anything that happens is in a sense a judgment from God. Uh, but it could be that some of these things are what we could call passive judgments. So like uh, things like Hurricane Katrina or things like the coronavirus, it may not be that God said, okay, I'm going to bring this because of the, the sin X. Now, we always believe that when God allows something, uh, God can redeem something from the evil that he allows. He can redeem good things. We're going to see stories of heroism in the midst of the coronavirus. We're going to see stories of, uh, we're going to learn about cre human creativity as a cure is developed, which is another good reason why we can praise God when science discovers a cure, if and when. Uh, we hope, we, we pray to God that that happens. So uh, I think it's important to understand the difference between what we would call active and passive judgment. You have anything to add to that, Pritchett? Nope. I agree 100%. Um, some things God brings and, and usually announced ahead of time, right? Um, and sometimes he just allows the nature to take its course and, and allow these things to, to happen. But it's not like there's anyone walking around innocent of, uh, you know, of sin that, you know, so it's it's not like from a Christian worldview perspective, we don't expect things to just be perfect here on earth. Yeah. 
Yeah. So Jonathan, maybe you could break down some of the, uh, answers. Now, if you've been a listener to Trinity radio for a while, um, you've, you've heard us, I have a short, well, short 11 minutes short for me, um, short for us, right? Pritchett. Um, I have a short video on this that's highly produced with music and all that on, um, what we call the problem of evil. Why would a loving God allow pain and suffering like we have? But, um, Jonathan, what are some of the theodicies that might be given by Christian thinkers for why, a loving and all-powerful God who knows uh, these things are going to happen um, and could stop it, doesn't stop it. Well, um, there's several. You've got the Reformed uh, theodicy. You've got the soul-building theodicy. You've got the free will theodicy. Um, I agree with what you said in the past, uh, at least in debates, that some of them have merit, uh, but typically in conjunction or the heaven theodicy is another one but in conjunction with the free will uh well the reform theodicy is not really compatible with that but um there's merit to to the soul building um theodicy where these things uh these bad things happen uh they happen intentionally to help develop you as a to become better uh as a human uh you have uh the heaven theodicy that you know this will all be a veil of tears. Uh, this this entire life is but a flash in light of eternity. Uh, you've got uh, the free will, the Odyssey that uh, you, you could explain that. Well, humans have free will, um, and that's why bad things happen. You couple that with the fact that uh, for those who affirm this would normally say that to have genuine love and relationship free will in the libertarian sense is required and that is a necessary condition for those kinds of relationships at the cost of evil occurring at least possibly and in, in the case of the actual world it definitely does occur so uh and you like to say there's merit to some of those other ones besides the free will but only in conjunction with the free will does it really make any sense and i think i think yeah. that's correct now i do want to say when people say free will defense one of their criticisms is well that helps us understand human moral evil but what about natural evil and how does the free will our free will have any impact on that and my response is always uh, i know other people have other responses but my response is look if you believe something like global warming is possible even if you don't believe it, if you believe that something like that's impo uh, possible, um, or if you believe that your behavior does anything to affect any environments, like dropping your garbage, you know, in a lake that you fish in, whatever, if you believe that human behavior can impact the environment, then you've already granted the premise of the free will argument that takes away the natural uh, evil rebuttal because human behavior can have an impact on the environment in which, as from a Christian perspective, we were given uh, a subordinated sovereignty over uh, to yeah, subdue. Yeah, so the reason I say that some of these other things, uh, some of these other um, uh, theodicies are valuable is, take, for example, the... Um, the character building theodicy in Romans chapter five tells us that experiencing suffering uh, does build our moral character and integrity. So the Bible does affirm that the Bible does affirm that in heaven one day, if you take something like a heaven theodicy, that we're going to, we're going to, this is going to be going to have been a veil of tears. But, um, but 
all of those things, if left on their own, still leave God as um, the the uh, having created a world that he knew would have evil in it, but it doesn't necessarily explain the evil itself. I think only combined with that free will theodicy that you mentioned, Jonathan, do we get um, do, do we get an explanation for that? So like you said, God, what, what does the Bible tell us that God wants? God wants people to love himself, uh, to love him and to love each other as themselves. And so um, he, the only way to get that real love, even if you're God, you can't force people to always do the right thing freely. You can't force them to freely always do the right thing. God could have made a bunch of robots. Um, God could have determined everyone to do exactly what he wanted. But we believe that, like you said, free will is necessary for real love. There has to be a real possibility of not doing the loving thing. And, and as I've said many times on this show, that's why we have something like um, in the in the garden, the atheists always make fun of the fact that you've got, well, it's all like a setup, man. Why do you have a tree? If he didn't want them to fall, he knew they were going to fall. If he, It's like he set it up. It's a setup for them to fall by putting the, the tree in the garden. But notice there's two trees in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And every day they had to make a choice. Am I going to trust God and do what he wants me to do and sacrifice what I could have, the tree of, lo- uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Or am I going to serve myself by taking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and dis obeying God. If that was not there, we wouldn't have the possibility for sacrifice. And um, and with it, we now have this a possibility for this grand understanding of love where I'm giving of myself for the good of another. But even if you're God, you have to live with the possibility that somebody's going to um, choose to serve self and they're going to, and he knew of course that that would happen. And then of course we get this beautiful story of redemptive love through Jesus to solve that problem. And so, uh, so free will is the engine that stands behind all of this. Now, uh, someone asked or someone stated a moment ago that that the wages of sin is death. Absolutely. And Jonathan, um, there's a lot that goes on when we talk about first things and we talk about what's going on in the garden and the nature of the of death. The, the, to the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Um, but, I, you know, you're a theologian. How do you unpack that? Um, there, uh, The way I read it. Uh, there, OK, some people interpret that well. They didn't die that day, but they began the process of dying, right? Uh, some people say they died spiritually, right? Some people say that that death is kind of a metaphor for separation, right? Uh, so when they they die, they didn't immediately die physically. They didn't like drop dead, which God has done to other people. Even in the book of Genesis, you know, Onan dropped dead uh, later on in the book. So, I mean, it's like, it's not that they can't just drop dead. Uh, but, oh, you're welcome. Uh, I don't know. I think there's merit to all of those. Um, one thing that we know did not happen is Adam and Eve did not physically die. Uh, I know that there are some open theists out there who will say that what happened was, is God said that they will die and then showed mercy when they didn't die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, um, but he, he, he took that. But I, I that's I, we're not open theists here, so that's I don't really. So yeah, what what I think um, what I think personally is I like the uh, I lean toward I'm not committed to any view on this, but I I lean towards uh, somewhere between the the separation metaphor uh, and I because they were expelled from the garden and they did not physically die. I, I think that terminology like spiritual death is theological gibberish and many, many, well, see what, see what you think about Uh, this. Let me put it this way. But well, but I also want to say that I lean that, that they began the process of dying. Uh, 
like have you ever seen that movie uh oh i can't think of the name of it in time or something like that with justin timberlake where they all have a a, cl- a clock you know and at the 21 birthday that clock starts and they have to earn minutes on the clock to sustain their life and that's kind of what i think uh possible that happened in the garden uh, where the process of dying it's like their clock clicked on and so yeah well i I don't even think you have to wonder about that because here's the thing uh take all the theological baggage that you might have from a particular uh doctrinal position you were raised with or a particular denomination and what does the bible tell us happened the bible tells us that um when they left the garden they no longer had access to the tree of life the thing that was allowing them uh, however you understand the tree however you understand genesis one through three the fact is they no longer had access to the tree of life what's going to be there in the new heaven and the new earth if you go to the end of the book of revelation the tree of life so they no longer had access to the tree so they that process of death is now is now carrying forward and i think a good way to understand death in this sense throughout the bible is they stand condemned to die and that debt and and so uh you know even now someone who doesn't know the lord jesus christ and they don't have access to the tree that that he can provide them they stand condemned condemned to die i think that's a good way of, of of putting it what do you think pritchett yeah, uh, Chris Day puts it that way. Uh, Good. I, yeah, he, I agree with him there. Dang, I, yeah, that is the best explanation of the free will theodicy regarding natural evil I've ever heard, Dr. P, Jim Amberg says. Yeah, go tell a friend. <laughs> thank you, Jim Amberg. You've been I, so yes, good. Thank you. I, I wish more people would explain that instead of trying to be dodgy. But it's not hard to explain. We understand that our behavior, our moral actions can impact our environment. You know, yeah. Uh, Emily Leggins Holden says, hi, this is Mary Pystrip's niece. Can tell, can you tell me how to increase my faith and decrease fear? Been in bed almost two months with my health. And now this is terrifying because I can't even go to the doctor. Mm. Um, I know Mary Pystrip. She's a local Evansvillian. Her son used to, uh, teach or, uh, sorry, used to teach, used to, uh, answer phones for us here at Trinity and, um, and, um, was, uh, an avowed unbeliever and uh, came to Christ. Uh, God used apologetics. So for all of you out there who say that apologetics doesn't actually, I've just had somebody on uh, Twitter recently asking me, uh, can you give me an example of, of any one person who's come to faith in Christ and God used apologetics? Yeah, I can. Uh, Drew Pystrip. Anyway, um, so, so this is a tough situation because we all deal with, or many of us deal with anxiety and worry. In fact, I'm probably going to do a, uh, show like this on this channel with Cameron Bertuzzi of Capturing Christianity on anxiety here before long, because believe it or not, Emily, I deal with anxiety and I have dealt with, I don't think I would ever be like a diagnosed hypochondriac, but I, I have dealt with it um, for sure. Uh, a fear of, of death. I even wrote a book, Death is a Doorway, just because of uh, that I was bothered by the idea of death, even as a believer. And so uh, living in this culture, living in this world that that speaks about sickness and death as though they're the worst possible things that can happen to someone that rubs off on us. And even though we have our beliefs and we know that it's true that one day we're going to be with the Lord forever and there's going to be no sickness and and all those things are true. We still have this. uh, We still we still have the influences of the world that that lead us to believe. Yeah, but what if and or question it? And so uh, as for increasing your faith. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to decipher that and say that I think what you mean is 
how, how do I trust God and, and fear less in the midst of this? And the thing about it is, first of all, number one, God's still pleased with us because um, he understands that we're going to experience doubt and those sorts of things. But number one, I think, and this is going to sound like the churchy answer. Number one, I think uh, devoting time to prayer is a good way. I know I'm always comforted when I spend time, when I'm having anxiety issues, just stop for a minute, get alone do some breathing exercises, pray, um, talk to God about it. That's an important thing. And to know that the Bible tells us that we're not to have a spirit of fear. And um, if it, this is not, this sounds crazy to the world, but to those of us who are believers, it doesn't. That if we, um, it, we know that if something were to happen to us and, and, and God forbid one of us were to lose our lives, as many people in the U.S. will and are, uh, because of this virus, we know that um, that that to live is Christ, to die is gain. That that we have an eternity with Him in heaven. Now, for the person that's in the midst of it, that can sound flippant, and we don't want to sound that way. So, um, but but I think the way to do that is just to spend more time uh, talking with other believers, seeking advice, like you're doing right now, from the strongest Christians that you know, um, and and prayer. You know, even the atheists and unbelievers that are listening right now, um, they have to admit that prayer. Um, even if they don't believe in the supernatural, they know that prayer does have a calming effect on us. And so I would encourage you to take advantage of that. And we'll be praying for you in the midst of that, Emily. So absolutely. So and, I, and, I, and I think that you can still contact your doctor over Skype or some other sort of uh, means. And if, if you're just trying to get prescriptions filled and all, all that, I think that they'll, they'll take care of that over the phone and somebody can go get the medicine for you. I hope that you're surrounded with good people, um, come from good family. So, uh, I know that there's going to be those who will look out for you too. All right. Yeah. Thank you for that question. So, uh, back to the, the problem of evil. Now, uh, what you all might not know is that typically the way this is shaped up is you have what are called logical arguments from evil. Um, that's more like the Epicurus, uh, slam RN, Slam RN, Jonathan, always make sure that I pronounce things right. But uh, I've been saying Epicurus for years, even teaching it Epicurus. But Epicurus, we'll go with. And um, uh, Epicurus came up with this uh, argument uh, from evil that, um, that, that many people are kind of familiar with uh, that, that kind of says that, look, if you've got an, if you basically what it boils down to is, look, if you have an all-powerful God, who uh, is all loving and knows the evil and could stop it. And yet we still have evil. That basically the idea is, well, then you obviously don't have that kind of God because from whence cometh evil. So, uh, so that's what we call a logical argument. It's an argument, not to say that it's correct by calling it logical, but by calling it logical argument, what we mean is it's trying to make the, the strong case that the clinching case that therefore uh, such a God does not exist. Okay. Because it's, uh, incoherent logically. Yeah. Because it's logically incoherent. Because the attributes offset each other, making it impossible for such a being to exist. Right. So you think about does. like the, I'm sorry, Pritchett. Yeah. But like you, you talk about like the married bachelor, the concept of a married bachelor, right. or a square circle. Those are logically contradictory things that can't possibly exist. And so whenever you hear, um, uh, whenever you hear, Atheists say something like, well, I shouldn't have to show that God doesn't exist because you can't even prove a negative. 
by that meaning they mean you can't prove that something doesn't exist. You can't prove, say, that there's not pink unicorn, alien unicorns dancing on the rings of Saturn, right? Well, maybe not with that, but you know what you can with some things, you can prove that certain things don't exist. And the way you do that is you show that there's something logically incoherent in the nature of the thing itself. That's how you do that. And the way you do that is, uh, so atheists could take something like the argument from evil and say, all right, look, evil existing, and then these attributes that you've plugged into the Christian theistic God, those are logically contradictory. There's, you, there is no good reason why such a God would allow evil. So there's an incoherence there. That God, at least, does not exist. That's what they want to do. Now, here, let me, um, I'm going to share with you what some atheists have said about the logical argument from evil. I, uh, I had it up here just a second ago. Let me see if I can get it back. So um, William Rowe, uh, famous evidential uh Atheist brings the evidential argument from evil. He says some philosophers have contended that the existence of evil is logically inconsistent with the existence of the theistic God. No one, I think, has succeeded in establishing such an extravagant claim. Indeed, granted incompatibilism, there is a fairly compelling argument for the view that the existence of evil is logically consistent with the existence of a theistic God. So what he's trying to say is this is an atheist, a well-known atheist philosopher, and he's trying to he's telling us that way of going about the argument from evil that my other atheist friends are trying to do, it won't work because there are because all the Christian has to show is that there's some good way, some good reason why my why God might allow some evils. Paul Draper says, although logical arguments from evil seemed promising to a number of philosophers in the 50s and 60s, they are rejected by the vast majority of contemporary philosophers of religion. Uh, that's in the Oxford Handbook of Philosophy, page 335. Michael Martin says, because of the failures of deductive arguments from evil, a theologians have developed inductive or probabilistic arguments from evil for the non-existence of God. Uh, so what, what you have to see here is these are atheists, you understand, who are saying, if you take the, uh, there's two ways to go about the arguments from evil. And the way that you're trying to say shows God definitely doesn't exist, you got to throw that out. That doesn't work. Interestingly, most of what you get from YouTube atheist crowd is that sort of an argument that these atheist philosophers are saying has been put to bed in the 50s and 60s. Right, Pritchett? Yeah. Yeah, and, and even if you go the probabilistic way, and I know you want to hammer away at that, um, the the defense to it from the, the or the response to it is much the same and leads to the same conclusion. Uh, the argument doesn't really work, um, you know, be, the probabilistic version that there's, there's so much evil, it's not likely for there to be such a god to exist. Yeah. However, however, the that's more used for persuasive rhetoric than it is actual trying, you know, it's persuasive more than it is intellectually valid or rigorous. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's got more rhetorical power than it does, uh, you know, intellectual power. Well, and that goes back to what we say all the time about how the thing that I think is most compelling to people among the internet atheist crowd is the mockery that we get so much. I, I don't, I don't think the thing that convinces a lot of people is like when I hear people tell me as Christians that they're experiencing doubt from reading the comments in, in these videos or from seeing atheist YouTubers, they always cite the mockery. They're just trying to make it sound stupid. So I guess yeah. a, a, a logical argument from evil might, might impact people. That yeah. Way. But, but, but the probabilistic one, people keep bringing that, you know, 
philosophers who debate prominent apologists still bring the probabilistic version, but that reduces down to things suck, therefore probably not God. That's all they're saying. Yeah. And if you take away the dressing, the window dressing, and you take away, you know, the rhetoric, it's basically a non sequitur. So yeah, so, I'm, I, I, now, I am, I am, I am thoroughly unimpressed with probabilistic arguments from evil. And be, if were it not for the rhetorical persuasiveness, I just, I give it to them. That, I bring it, it's the best you got, but it's not really as good as you think it is. I do. It think doesn't in my. I do think it's the best they got. Now, now let me just for a second explain. But I don't think it's as I don't think it's as good as they think it is for them, though. Right. So, so now here's where here's here's how you can understand the difference between what we call the logical arguments from evil, which is what we're talking about, was put to bed in the fifties and sixties, and the evidential argument or probabilistic arguments from evil uh, that we're about to talk about. That's the one that doesn't try to say God. Therefore, God doesn't exist. So much as it tries to say, therefore, perhaps it's unlikely that God exists, given so much evil, particularly evils that don't seem to serve any greater purpose. And so we'll talk about those in just a second. But here, here's the thing that I want you to get. When you're, when you're talking about the first case, the logical argument uh, from evil, um, that is the one that's making the stronger claim, right? Because it's saying, God, therefore, God doesn't exist. But it's but it's the easier one to refute, whereas yes. the evidential argument is making a somewhat softer claim. We're not saying God doesn't exist. We're just saying it's less likely. They're making a softer claim, but it's harder to refute because of that. So um, so why is it that it's so easy to refute the logical argument? Well, here's where I'm going to explain real quick uh, uh, what what um, philosophical defeaters are. So a uh, philosophical defeater is when you can give any reason, no matter whether you know for sure that it's true or not, any possible explanation that having given this explanation, um, if it's even possibly true, then it means the criticism doesn't necessarily hold. So some of you have heard me give this before, but like, let's say that me and Pritchett are in a room and um, Slam RN is in there with us. And uh, let's say Isaiah Braxton is there with us too. And so we, we don't, all the, all the blinds in the room are closed. We can't see what's going on outside, but Slam RN leaves and comes back about an hour later and is dripping wet. Now, um, let's say that Isaiah Braxton says, I know why she's wet, like the all dripping wet. Why? Well, it must be because she got into the shower with her clothes on. Well, now we would all think that's a little weird, right? Why is that weird? Because she's because Isaiah Braxton is claiming that's the only possible explanation. All we have to do to defeat the claim that that's the only possible explanation is to give any explanation that is even possibly uh, an alternative thing that might be true. So I might say, well, no, I mean, she might've fallen into a pond or it might've a thunderstorm might've come. Any other possible explanation would defeat the claim that it must be that she got into the shower with her clothes on. So that's a philosophical defeater. So when we come to the problem of evil, what we're saying here is we're saying, look, when you want to say that given God's power, knowledge, and love and evil, the only explanation is that there is no explanation. There's, there is no explanation for why a, a God like that would allow evil. And we're saying, no, all we have to do is come up with some possible explanation. So these theodicies are possible explanations for a God so defined might allow the evil. 
So uh, perhaps free will is the explanation. Perhaps uh, that he does it to build our moral character and integrity. Perhaps um, it's because he's preparing us for heaven. Perhaps it's some of all of these. But the point is, these are all possibilities. And so long as any of these are even possibly true, then it means that the logical argument fails. And all you're left with is maybe that one that we're saying is the softer claim, the evidential argument from evil. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the evidential argument from evil. You want to set it up, Jonathan? Well, I already said everything I need to say about it. All it boils down to is things suck, so therefore probably not God. And right. while right. some some people while some people think it's harder to refute, that didn't didn't seem difficult for me. It's just that's I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> that's what it <laughs> brilliant. I, that that that's what it is. That's all it is. We need to you take away all the dressing, and that's what it is. Because what they want to say is, given so much evil in the world, and some of it seems to serve no greater purpose, like uh, this idea that you become a better person out of it, or that some act of heroism was able to, you know, be born out of that unfortunate experience, something like that, you know, just a deer burning in the woods in a forest fire, it's just gratuitous, right? Serves no purpose. Uh, yeah. And because of all that, therefore, probably not God. So there you go. And that's, I don't know, I, I don't understand how in the world that is persuasive to anyone. Once you, well, once you declutter it and just get it down to, you don't like the world the way it is. And so you think it follows from that, that there's no God because bad things happen. But that simply, even the, the probably no God doesn't follow from bad things happen. Yeah, so, so Brando says here, Dawkins said at the bottom of a purely material universe is pitiless indifference. He happens to be completely correct because love is not a material thing. That's right. So God is not indifferent to our suffering. He's not indifferent to our evil actions. Um, he's not indifferent to what's going on. And um, and so when we come to the evidential argument from evil, um, so there's there's a couple of things here. So what the person who wants to bring this, someone like William Rowe, what they're going to say is take examples of what we could call gratuitous evil. And that's evil that doesn't seem to serve an overarching purpose. So he gives an example of, say, a fawn that dies in the woods. Perhaps a tree gets struck by lightning. The tree falls on the fawn. It burns up. The fawn burns up. Nothing is even able to live off the fawn by eating off of the fawn. So there's no good that comes out of this at all, right? And he and he says, now I'm coming up with this as a hypothetical, but if you don't like the hypothetical, surely this is true of something at some point in, in human history. And, um, and so, or, and he also gives another example of a family that is murdered by the father and then the father kills himself and no good ever comes out of it for anybody. And he says, look, these are gratuitous evils. They serve no goods. And so God would be unjust to allow them. Now, this is where uh, Stephen Weikstra comes along and he offers what's called the cornea defense. And what he's saying is you might not be able to see the, the good that might come out of it. So, uh, for example, if I look in my backyard, I might I might if you ask me, are there worms in my backyard and I look out in the backyard I don't see any worms. I might say, no, there are no worms in my backyard, but hold on a second. You'd say, but wait a minute, we wouldn't expect that you'd be able to see worms in your backyard just from looking out the window. So you can't claim there aren't worms in your backyard in the same way. How does Roe know? How does William Roe know that there aren't goods that might come out of these instances that he has described? And as, uh, 
as Finding Truth mentioned, uh, uh, this is why William Lane Craig um, has has mentioned that there could be a butterfly effect. It could be that the goods that come out of a particular thing might happen a hundred years from now or two hundred years from now, and we wouldn't expect to be able to see it. So right, uh, and and speaking of William Lane Craig, I think middle knowledge makes that even more. You know what would have been the case had X not even occurred. You know. X right. being instance of evil at any particular time that someone from their limited perspective, lacking omniscience and all that would have no idea what goods came about of that because of the limited perspective, which is similarly to the same response you give to the logical problem of evil, which is, you know, we, there's a possibility. Not, yeah. We do not have the perspective uh, to say that there aren't sufficient reasons for everything that occurs. Yeah, so uh, the the way I framed up my own version of uh, uh, of uh, Weikstra's cornea defense is I say, all right, look, and this is still true. This is still as true as it's ever been. Guarantee you tonight, I'll go and sit down with my wife. We'll be watching Netflix or something. And she'll say, honey, could you go get me? She doesn't drink Diet Coke so much anymore, but let's just say she did. Can you go get me a Diet Coke out of the, out of the fridge? Because it'll be something. Let's say it's Diet Coke. And I say, yeah, sweetheart, I'll do that for you. And I jump up and I go to the kitchen and I open it up and I'm looking, I'm looking, I don't see any Diet Coke. So I go back and I say, I'm sorry, sweetheart, there's no Diet Coke in the fridge. And she says, Braxton, I know there's Diet Coke. Just go look again. So I go look, I'm, I'm pulling it open, I'm moving stuff around. I don't see it. I go back and I say, I'm telling you, there's no Diet Coke. I know that I put Diet Coke in there. I bought up all the Diet Coke because the coronavirus. Go look and see again. So I go back there. I'm pulling everything apart. I'm sweating. I stop and take a milk break and drink some milk. Uh, and I go and I say, look, it is, there's no Diet Coke in there. And then she says, am I going to have to go look for this myself? Yeah, I'd like to see you go find that Diet Coke. So she goes in there and I walk behind her and she opens the door and reaches in and picks up the Diet Coke as easy as can be. Just because I didn't see the Diet Coke doesn't mean it's not there. In the same way, just because Roe or any other atheist doesn't see the goods that might come out of a particular thing that they want to call a gratuitous evil doesn't mean there isn't some good. And look, this is the whole point of saying God, whether you believe in God or not, the God concept as a concept, a God with those features, you would have to admit would be able to see things future, past, present, you know, comprehensively in a way that no man would be able to see or woman. Yes. So I think we've we've kind of given this explanation. So in case it hasn't been clear, Jonathan mentioned the, na the, the natural evils that come, and we can trace that back to the fall of man. Yep. And in fact, even if you say, because you know, if you're an old earth creationist, or even if you are a theistic evolutionist of some sort, which we're not, but what you could say about something like that is you could say, uh, perhaps the garden, uh, perhaps some of these things that, that, that are going on in the world serve some function, you know, run the same defense we just gave. They serve some function, some good for the cosmos. I mean, even earthquakes and things like that serve some function. Uh, but perhaps if the fall had not happened uh, and mankind would have remained in the presence of God, uh, th they would have never encountered these things. So you can work this in any way you want. The fact is, if it weren't for the fall of man, these natural evils uh, would not have been encountered by man. So at that point... Um, does anybody have any questions that we haven't actually responded to? Uh, let's see. Brando says, oh, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Uh, this is kind of fun. This is our first time using this software. 
Uh, could we imagine a type of retroactive good as in something that looks bad happens, but if it didn't, the good that came before that, what uh, lead to it might not have happened. Let's see. Something that looks bad happens, but if it hadn't, the thing that came before might not have happened. Maybe give me a, maybe give me a scenario. Uh, you know, I don't have a DeLorean. Um, if I did, I, 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 is it possible? Well, anything's possible. Um, well, maybe, maybe something like this. So, so putting well, all environment, hold on, put, putting all environmental issues aside, let's imagine that, um, splitting the atom was a good thing for whatever reason, but then, and, and that the world was made better somehow by that. But then later on, we weaponized that. That's, you know, that's a bad thing that happened as a result of a good thing. Is it something like that that you're referring to? It says, say something good happens that leads to something bad. Yeah. Uh, good thing. Every one of us is born. Bad thing. Every one of us is going to die. Uh, there you go. The beautiful simplicity of Jonathan's explanations. Uh, well, the garden is a great example of this, right? Well, Everything about the garden well, yeah. was good, but it did lead to something bad. The yes. fall. And the, the, well, and the fact that I exist, uh, you know, I had to come from Raymond Pritchett who did die, right? My, my dad died back in 2009. Um, but I was born before 2009. I'm a good thing. So, you know. Let me ask you guys a question. We probably are going to wrap it up here in just a few minutes. Um, for some reason, we don't have the live stream crowd today that we have had in the past. But if you guys ask us questions, we'll stick around but or, or have statements that we can talk about. Um, but uh, but would you all everyone's be, worried right now? Would you all be yeah. interested if if we had on a theistic evolutionist to talk to a Christian evolutionist? Because obviously we have inspiring philosophy. We've had him on the show, but we actually have someone that works with us. Um, not a, not a professor, but, but someone that works with us who is, and I'm um, trying to convince him to come on the show. I, he's got a degree in biology. I wonder if that's something that would interest y'all. And yeah, Pedro, we're definitely going to have Michael Jones back on at some point. I was going to, Jones and I were both supposed to be speaking at a conference next weekend, but the conference got canceled and we were going to make some videos together then, but I don't know. Yeah. Stephen Meyer. Oh boy. I'd love to have Stephen Meyer on the show, but Stephen Meyer's not an evolutionist, right? He's, He's intelligent design and and not an evolutionist, I think. Um, Isaiah Braxton says, let's see. I know I'm off topic, but what's your view on the gifts of the spirit? And are there more historians and and are there more historians that mention Jesus? Oh, we have a whole episode that we, this is one of the things I love about doing this. The whole episode is better than anything we can say in two minutes. So what on the historical uh, Jesus? Yeah, Jesus outside of the Bible, or outside, yeah, outside of the New Testament. Yeah, we, that's what it's we, called. We have well, the name of the episode was Jesus outside the Bible. Yeah, go watch that. That's that's you got nothing better to do anyway. You're quarantined. Um, but gifts to the Spirit, we're both continuationists, so uh, you know, uh, continuationists. Cost, in case, explain what that is. Okay, we we do not believe in cessationism that the gifts of the Spirit ceased to be in operation at least the the the, the supposedly more supernatural ones I, I don't like terms like that but the the more charismatic gifts um <sighs> prophecy tongues etc visions dreams things like that um i think 
I think uh, Braxton and I both take more of an open but cautious view than just saying we're full-blown first-wave Pentecostal-type charismatics. But we are both open but cautious, uh, but we both would agree with the statement that there's no biblical reason to be a cessationist. And, and the, the case for it is not very compelling to either one of us. Yeah, I mean, so, I'm, not, I'm not even yeah. in the least bit. The only, in the only sense that I'm charismatic is that I don't see anything in the Bible that says that these gifts ceased. That's, that's the only sense. I've, I've yeah. never spoken in tongues. I've never, uh, as far as I know, uh, healed anybody. <laughs> I've never, none of the, no. none of the cool superpower gifts I've ever had. Right. I don't yeah. have any of those either. <laughs> I don't, I don't mind calling myself a charismatic. I just can't do anything cool yet. So, but I do seek the gifts, you know, Paul tells us to seek gifts. I do pray. Uh, I want to speak in tongues. I, you know, I would love to be a conduit through which people are healed. That'd be amazing. Um, Unfortunately, that like Bragg said, I've not had these experiences, but but I do believe that it's there's no biblical reason to think that they've ceased, and there's um, every reason to be cautious about every claim that's made. Uh, so we're well, kind of here's a pretty cautious. cool thing: if you become a patron, a couple of things relevant to this show. First, if you become a patron, you have access, and some of you who are patrons may not know this yet. You have access to a little debate that Pritchett and I had on the nature of tongues. Yes. Like regardless of whether you think the tongues ended or continue, um, we're both continuationists, but what is tongues? Is it that God gave um, them a, a an ability to speak a known language that they just didn't know for the purposes of evangelism? Or is it some sort of a heavenly language? Yeah, that a, static, is not a static utterances. I, um, I take the very minority position and uh, it's like me and James G.D. Dunn, uh, I think, um, and a few other scholars take the very minority position that even in Acts, it's ecstatic utterances and not not um, other languages, um, like known languages. And uh, there so are, I, I, yeah. and I'm in the very minority of, and I, I own that, yeah. But that's that's my my reading of the text. I'm and there convinced. are a couple of there are a couple of um, passages that I have to admit. When I'm dragging my comb through the scripture, the only place where I get hung up a little bit is there's a couple of things Paul says that that I don't quite know how to deal first, with. First, first Corinthians 13. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tongues of men and angels. Right, yeah. right. I mean, what I know how mean? to now. Now that said, I know how to answer that from from my position, but I'm not altogether satisfied with it. But I'm of the position that it's that it's these are known languages that God gave man an ability to speak for and the purpose you, of evangelism, but I'm open. I, it's not like I care that much to, you know, I, I I'm open to being convinced and, and would like to be convinced. I want to know the truth about this. And I don't really have much of a dog in that fight. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Patrons, you get to watch that, have a little fun with it. And um, then secondly, patrons, you have access to eight hours, eight hours. Well, I don't want to say eight hours. That may not be right an entire course of audio and the, the PowerPoint for um, the problem of evil uh, class that I teach. In fact, um, maybe I can it'll feel that. like eight hours when you watch it. Is that what you're trying to say? Maybe. Uh, no, it's good. It's great. I've listened to the whole thing. It's great. See here, this is, this is the PowerPoint for that class. And um, if you, if you go see, you'll see some of the, some of the stuff. There's the William Rowe. Um, quotation and stuff, and and this is a great 
I really enjoyed this class, the problem of evil. And so if you're a patron, you have access to that. Um, so that's something to consider. All right. Well, any other statements or let's see, Brando has something I have to get back. Let's see. Uh, Brando says in the old Testament, the Kings needed prophets to interpret things they couldn't understand. Like Mina, Mina, Tekel, you parson. Yep. Um, I think it's different languages, but also when it says people can't understand it, that would be like when people couldn't understand Jesus parables. Interesting. Check out the, the discussion that we've had on this. Uh, but anything else before we go, if we were old timey church people, we'd say all hearts and minds clear. <laughs> Did they ever say that in your church, Jonathan? Yeah. Uh, I go to your church, but no, when you were younger, I've, I've n- no, Okay. I've never heard that. It's a Tennessee thing, I, I think. Uh, I do want to tell everyone to be safe, be careful. Um, don't be out if you don't have to be. I understand you got to work and grocery store and things like that, but stay safe. Mm. This, it's not worth getting. Uh, there's so much to do to distract yourself. We've killed boredom. That's what we've killed um, in the 21st century. You've got the internet. You've got all sorts of things to watch on television books are still my number one thing read a book but stay safe we want you to stay safe uh slam rn says i think the gifts of the gift of tongues and praying in tongues are different so that would be a that would be a middle of the road between you and i pritchett yeah um and then someone asks uh is genesis literal now uh for for my money i think uh so the, the so obviously everyone, no matter how literally they claim, like you'll run you'll run into people that say, I take the Bible literally, I take the book of Revelation literally. No one takes everything in the book of Revelation literally. And if they do, they're defying what is said in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation because it tells you these things represent those things and all this kind of thing. So uh no God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Okay, that is technically literally true. But doesn't he also own the cattle on all the other hills, or is it just a thousand? Right, like, like, the, so, so the the question is: there are different genres in the Bible. There, there are different uh, types of literature. There's poetry. There's apocalyptic. There's biography. There's, um, there's, there's narrative. And so the question is: what kind of literature is being discussed in any particular place? That'll tell you. In Genesis, I personally, and and this makes me very conservative theologically. I, I think we're talking history, uh, at least from Genesis two on. Now, um, I'm also, you know, Pritchett would, if if I take Pritchett's view, which is the John Walton Michael Heiser sort of view of Genesis one, I could even say that's history, that that's literal history. The only thing that we're at, and that's what inspiring philosophy says, it's just that it's um not it doesn't mean what you think it means so it's not talking about material creation that god bringing uh you know the sea creatures into being or the or the uh seed bearing plants into being instead like when you're walking along and you pick up a stick and you start using that stick as a walking stick you have made a walking stick now you didn't do anything and you certainly didn't create the stick but you have uh you have given it a function yeah you have given it a function the function of a walking stick if you take that view, you can say it's all just literal history. But Genesis chapter one, the the genre of Genesis chapter one has been debated f- since the since the first few centuries of the church. So there's nothing. Even if I say 
um, chapter two onward is literal in the, you know, without saying literal across the board, right? But it's giving us history. Genesis one may still be a, a genre that needs to be looked at. So also yeah, understanding, I, I, also understanding it's a little unclear where this should go, because think if you look at your Bible right now, what you're going to see is obviously the chapters and numbers were added later. Right. And mm -hmm. chapter one ends where it shouldn't of Genesis one, because go to the end of, go to the beginning of chapter two. It's still telling you about day seven, which is clearly right. a part of the discussion of chapter one. So anyway, Go ahead, Pritchett. Yeah, I, I'm just going to say what I always say. Uh, I don't care if you take Genesis. I, well, I don't care how literal you take Genesis. I only care that you take Genesis seriously. So I just tell people to take Genesis like every scripture. Take it seriously. Um, however literal that is or not, I don't care. That's irrelevant. Trinity Radio, my question has something to do with staying safe. Well, what's your question? Yeah. Just stay safe. Let's stay safe. Yeah. Stay safe. Let's stay safe, stay, guys. And let's let's end this thing. Yeah. This uh this six feet, uh uh, twenty feet. I'm in a different building than Braxton. That's how much for social distancing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh I'm at home, he's at work. Um I, I love work. I don't like working from home, it stinks. But um yeah, this isn't don't mess around with it. you shouldn't mess around with anything, you know, but this especially. Because even if you don't get that sick, blah, 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 you could still kill someone else. And that matters. Um, don't be the reason someone else dies, even if you get through it. But I just saw, uh, for young people, I, there's like a viral video of some girl in her late 30s that's talking about her experience in the uh, ICU. And ugh, it's scary stuff. Don't mess with this. Well, uh Okay, now we, I'm, I, you know, here, here we are right at the end, and I got a really good question from uh, Susan Morales. I hope I'm saying that right. Do you think teaching apologetics to your kids will help them avoid believing atheist arguments, et cetera, when they are older? Yes. Okay, Susan, I don't know. And I think it could be different for each kid. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Help. The word, the, the, the phrase that she used was help. And yeah. I can say it will help. Now, is it, does it, does it, is does it guarantee? No. Uh, Matt Slick is a prominent uh, apologist on the internet. His daughter is an atheist. One of his daughters is an atheist. So it didn't, it didn't prevent um, uh, her from becoming an atheist. But to do it or not do it, do it because it, it would help. I think there's some nuance that can be brought. I don't disagree. Um, but it depends. I, so, this was very unpopular when I said it once before, even among our followers. But, you know, whenever you introduce apologetics, you are introducing what the skeptical arguments are, what the atheists are saying, what the challenges to the Christian faith are, right? Even if, even if you don't tell them what the atheists are saying, but, or the Muslims or whatever, when you, when you are presenting the defense, it, kids are smart and they'll, they'll pick up on what the criticism is. So, in my case, I, I made a point, even though I'm a Christian apologist and teach apologetics, I made it a point not to really discuss apologetics uh, around my kids, except for throwing in little facts like, man, isn't that a beautiful sunrise that God made? Look at the trees that God made and, and, and talking about how, how it is, you know, things that back up and support. But, but I didn't really present apologetics as such until recently. And 
the reason for that is I didn't want, I, I kind of liked my kids growing up, not thinking too much about that, not being presented with those potential doubts that early. Now uh, that's going to differ from kid to kid. And it's going to differ based on a lot of things. Um, because as slam RN says, it is a good idea that kids will have heard the arguments before and not get gobsmacked. So in my case, I knew that my kids right were, were being, were being homeschooled at the time and I had more control, but for most kids, they're going to encounter these things to the entertainment world, yep. the news and all that. So I've changed younger, my view yeah, just a little yeah. bit younger than you think. I, I think of course it helps. Um, of course, when you, you know, um, my, my kids are now teenagers, so we talk about it all the time more, but, um, you know, I was in 2010, uh, my, my, uh, 17 year old was seven. Right. Uh, and I'm getting a degree in apologetics just beginning and daddy, what's apologetics. Okay. So you, you're already talking about that. So I, I made a decision to talk about that stuff. Now, like you, Braxton, I don't, I did say, okay, lesson number one, today we're going to begin with the arguments for God's existence and then drill all those in their head. And we just did that for an hour every day. No, it's not like that. But they ask intuitive questions. Um, they hear things. Um, so what you can do is, as you go, go along, when my kids were young, um, we would talk about things and, and say, you know, there are people, you know, when we're praying to God, you know, there's some people that don't believe in God. And isn't that sad that they don't believe in God, you know? And uh, you yeah. could talk to them. And here's, here's, here's some reasons why. I mean, you know, bad things happen. Uh, and that makes them uh, not think but uh, about God in the same way we do. But um, here's what we say about it. And you could, you could do it real simplistically like that. Um, okay. And then, then just go from there as they age. La last question. We really are cutting it off after this one. Finding Truth says, Church is planning to go out and pass coronavirus tracks, trying to evangelize door-to-door -door during this time. Is this sensitive or a good idea? You know, I'm all for evangelism. Um, I'm shocked. You know, there's hardly any churches that I know of anymore who are doing door-to-door -door evangelism. So first of all, thank, you know, uh, thank goodness there are some people that are still, you know, people say, well, that doesn't work anymore. Well, maybe we did door-to-door -door evangelism just a few years ago in, in this, uh, in the neighborhood where our center of hope church, Jonathan, the church we used yeah. to go to. And uh, we saw people come to Christ and we saw the, you know, it's a numbers game. Uh, yeah, given I, enough doors knocked on, you're going to run into X number of people and given enough of those, you're going to see results. Right. So, yeah, uh, but, but now, in, the, in the coronavirus, I'm not sure now is the right time no, cut that for off, the reason. Here's the reason why, because the like, winger reason, the winger reason you're going to bring shame on the name of Jesus. If, if the virus spreads because of what his church is doing. Yeah. Because, okay. Do you give them a track with the coronavirus? Somebody with clammy hands that didn't sanitize their hands and has the virus puts it on the track that they contract the, I, I I'm leaving my mail in the mailbox till I get, you know, I I'll take out a, a little, uh, Lysol wipe and grab the mail with that because I, I know my. And Lysol your credit you know. cards, people. Yeah. Don't be dumb dumbs. All right. Listen, I've enjoyed this Trinitarians. Thank you all for being here. This was a, this, this was our first time using, uh, this software and, um, I'm, I'm glad that it's working and, uh, I think we're gonna, we're gonna have to, it's, it's solid. It works really well. So, yeah. and thank you and slam R in slam R in. 
we had you and you are not a bad idea as a moderator. So <laughs> glad that you're with us on this maiden voyage. Thank you, sir. Stream yard. So uh, I think it's a ma'am. Um, but, uh, but, but thank you thank so you, much and, <laughs> and we'll see you next time on Trinity radio.